1: Coming up on Studos America, Ben Weingarten joins us to compare the January 6th and the BLM riots. I want to miss that. Biden transition advisors have a plan for COVID that you're probably not going to like. You probably are going to want to miss that. And the media continues to amplify the wrong message regarding the Capitol riots. But did we really expect anything different? Let's cut through the hyperbole as we do January 6th.
0: Stu Does America.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we have a brand new national holiday to celebrate today. It's January 6th, and it's the day you're always supposed to think about all the time. It's the only thing you should be thinking about. I said back, uh, if you go back to last year's programs uh, after January 6th, one of the things I stressed often was we should not call it January 6th. Why? Because they want, the left and the media, wants this to be December 7th, 1941. They want it to become September 11th, 2001. They want it to become a thing that every year they can talk about how evil Republicans are and how evil conservatives are and how evil you are. And they want to use it, they they don't want to do it once, they want to do it annually. They want to build up, they want an anniversary, they want retrospective pieces. They want uh, all the think pieces you could possibly swallow, and they want it every single year on January 6th. Well, my efforts failed, just like almost all of my other efforts fail. Um, weight loss, for example. But I will also say this program is l- partial, kind, a little bit responsible for both Cuomo's going away. So you at least got that going for you, which is nice. This is a situation where January 6 has turned into a thing that is almost—it's almost completely disconnected to what actually occurred at the Capitol. Now, I'm going to paraphrase you, in a little bit here. January 6 is something that is very easy to overstate, and it's very easy to understate. Let me take the di- more difficult one first. January 6 is something very easy to understate. And I start with this because I understand we're all conservatives, uh, mainly here. There's some libertarians, so we have some moderates, I'm sure, some liberals out there. There's got to be somebody typing out all my comments for all the complaints. But generally speaking, we have a uh, similar ideology. We understand uh, the, the same types of things, and I think we see things generally the same way. There is a temptation to... Look at the events of January 6th and kind of forget that they were really bad at times. There were some really bad things that went on. I've said this many times. I have uh, office, police officers in my family. I am not cool with you bashing them over the head with rocks and, and you see, hockey sticks and flagpoles. Not cool to me. I don't want you dragging them downstairs. I don't want you tasing them. I don't want you doing any of that stuff to police officers. I really care about police officers. And uh, I don't think that it's cool when people do that. And that did occur at the Capitol. There is a lot of footage. And you could say, well, um, yeah, that happened. But most of the people uh, who were at the rally are completely peaceful. And you know what? That's totally true. Most of them were. Most of them didn't even go to the Capitol. A lot of people who were at the Capitol had nothing to do with the really bad violent type of actions uh, that went on there. But it is important to understand that, that, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff that went on there. I have no problem with throwing somebody who beat a police officer over the head with a flagpole in prison. Bye bye. That's fine with me. I I have no allegiance to someone like that. And politics is never going to outweigh uh, that instinct in me. I mean, it's just—it's fundamental to the way I see the world. Um, you know, police officers do a lot for us, and uh, I'm not going to uh, go down that road. Um, now, the other side of this is a lot easier, I think, for us to make on on, on a conservative program, which is it is very easy to understate or overstate uh, the J- January 6 events as well. On January 6, I tweeted this, and I stand by it to this day. This is a national disgrace. It was, in a million different ways, some of which I didn't know at the time, but it is a national disgrace. The reason why I never believed something like that would happen from a conservative uh, audience is because it, like, never happens. We see all the time uh, the left doing these types of things, and we almost never, ever, ever see it from the right. And that's why it was kind of shocking. I think that's why... Conservatives reacted the way that they did. You see liberals burning buildings down. They don't react in horror. They bail the people out. We acted uh, with shock and horror because it was just not the way we're used to seeing our side act. I mean, uh, we did the rally at, in Washington, D.C. In, uh, on, on 828. You know, there's 500,000 people at that event. And we left it, as, as is the cliche at this point, cleaner than when we arrived. Uh, people were, uh, there was no fighting, there was no brawling, there was no rioting. That's not what was going on. They were being goaded by Black Panthers who were there, by groups uh, like, uh, from Al Sharpton's organization who were there screaming at our, pro, at our, uh, our, uh, our audience. And you guys just kind of sat back and said, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm, we're thinking about something a little bit bigger than your nonsense right now. That's the way we've always acted. So that's, that's uh, it is important to point out And I I don't run away from it. It was a really bad day. And the people who are responsible for it should be held accountable. I have no issues with that. But on the other hand, it is really easy to overstate what happened on January 6th. This was not an armed, organized insurrection to overthrow the government Jimmy Carter wrote an op-ed, and in the op-ed he said, they almost succeeded. No, they didn't. They didn't almost succeed in overthrowing the government and overturning our democracy. No, they didn't. Within hours, the votes were certified. by, By the way, Donald Trump's vice president, and everything went along as normal. January 6th was the day of the riots. It was also still the day where they actually certified the votes and the election was over uh, formally, although it had been over for quite some time. I mean, there's Safe Harbor Day. There's December 14th. This had been over for a long, long time. And it's I don't like what built up uh, to those events. And I don't like that. You know, a lot of people believed things that just weren't true leading into it. But let's not overstate this. This is not the Civil War. This is not uh, World War II. This is nothing of the kind. This was a riot at a building, at a federal building, one that we've seen, the type of action we've seen over and over again. We're going to get into that a little, a little bit later on in the show. Um, one, one part of this that I think is really important to understand is that January 6th is a thing because the Democrats need it to be a thing. You know, the, I, I mean, certainly a bigger threat to democracy than January 6th was the baseball field shooting as a Bernie Sanders volunteer tried to murder 10 percent of elected Democrats or Republicans uh, in Washington, D.C. That's a real threat to <laughs> real threat to democracy. We don't memorialize that day. We don't say, oh, my gosh, here comes the anniversary of that day. Uh, we don't do that. Why? Well, I, mean, I don't, maybe it's just we don't understand the rules of this game as well as the Democrats do. I don't know. But I will say that, like, they need this to happen because what they the other thing they have to argue, if you're not going to sit here and say, oh, gosh, Trump is bad. And January 6th is happening all the time. If you don't have that, you have to say your guy Biden is good. And they can't do that. They have no stand uh, ground to stand on when trying to argue positive things about Biden. So they have to go back to Trump, who, as of this point, is just a guy living at Mar-a-Lago. He's not running for anything at this point. He's just a former president in private life. And they are obsessed with him and obsessed with everything around him because if they're not obsessed with him, they have to talk about what they're doing. And that's not going so well right now. One of the things that they're trying to do, and you've seen this over the past couple of years, they're trying to go after, let's say, social media and get people banned who disagree with them, who say things that they don't like. Uh, people who rally a lot of attention around them. We know that is a particular direction they've gone. And they've gone down several routes uh, in that general vicinity, like, for example, going after Parler and taking them off their web servers. Uh, they've gone after um, uh, Joe Rogan on Spotify. They're trying to find different ways to take down anyone who might disagree with what the Democrats say you're supposed to believe this week. Um one of the things that has remained largely untouched are podcasts. And look, that's a good thing in my view, of course. Uh, I you know believe that you should not be banning podcasts. There's been some that have been banned, um, just like there have been some books that have been banned. I thought we all agreed that was a really bad idea, but apparently not. So they're coming after podcasts now. And this is sort of the first step uh, in that effort. Um, this is a New York Times uh, story, which was very much coordinated with the Brookings Institution, uh, that they tried to basically look into podcasts and come up with a circuitous way to blame January 6th on conservative podcasts. Um, the, uh, the headline is Election Falsehood Surged on Podcasts Before Capital Riots, Researchers Find. A new study analyzed nearly 1,500 episodes showing the extent to which podcasts pushed misinformation about voter fraud. Now, One of the reasons why this particular story, which is just yet another dumb New York Times story that, you know, made no impact. One of the reasons why I was particularly drawn to it, though, is because of the first paragraph. And the first paragraph outlines kind of who I guess they're saying is the face of the insurrection here, uh, which is obviously insane. It's Glenn Beck. Now, they blame everything on Glenn. I blame everything on Glenn, too, but I work with him and I'm friends with him, so I'm allowed to do that type of thing. Here's what they write. Weeks before the 2020 presidential election, the conservative broadcaster Glenn Beck outlined his prediction for how Election Day would unfold. Keep that in mind. President Donald J. Trump would be winning that night, but his lead would erode as dubious mail in ballots arrived, giving Joseph R. Biden Jr. an unlikely edge. No one will believe the outcome because they've changed the way we're electing a president this time. Hmm. Now, I worked with Glenn. I did a show with Glenn. Uh, You know, he definitely had some suspicions about fraud here and there, but uh, I certainly didn't see him as the face of that movement by any means. In fact, Certainly not the face of the movement of violence at the Capitol. The guy has been talking about this uh, and how you should never resort to violence forever. But looking at this quote, I mean, we can walk through it weeks before the 2020 election. uh, Glenn Beck outlined his prediction on how Election Day would uh, would unfold. Was it his prediction alone? We'll get into that in a second. Trump would be winning, but his lead would erode as dubious mail-in ballots arrived, giving Joseph Biden an unlikely edge. No one will believe the outcome because they've changed the way we're electing a president this time. Well, it's hard to disagree with they've changed the way that they're electing a president. I mean, mail-in ballots were never used like this in these numbers, and everybody knew that. Now, there was a reason for it, right? COVID-19. They changed a bunch of the rules, uh, and we had never elected a president that way. And There was going to be suspicion around it. In fact, every mainstream media network warned about this idea of a red wave where it would look like Trump was ahead. And then um, uh, the mail-in ballots and the later calendar ballots would come in and Biden would catch up. We talked about it on this show, not talking about fraud, but just talking about that was the way these votes were all set to come in. As you know, I do the election coverage here for The Blaze and have for many, many years. So I've seen this happen in normal times over and over and over again. It was not a surprise at all the way that unfolded. We did talk about it, just like everybody else did. Now, the uh, the comments, though, that they take there are were from some, I think, a September show where we were talking about something very specific. And it's this document I'm holding right here. It's from the Elec- Election Integrity Project. Now, the Election Integrity Project uh, Touted itself as a uh, bipartisan group, but it was specifically um, uh, outlined because they stated they were worried that Donald Trump was going to try to steal the election. OK, that's why they formed the group. Uh, what's going to happen? Let's ga- let's role play this. What happens if Donald Trump tries to steal the election? Uh, now, the context of this was fully revealed. Here's the quote from Glenn. This is exactly what he said that they quoted in The New York Times. Uh, With with the full context, Brooks has conducted war games to play out a range of Election Day and post-Election Day scenarios. Virtually all the outcomes save one, a Biden landslide, have ended up facilitating a nightmarish fallout. What about a Trump landslide? This is Glenn. I've been telling you only a landslide will do it. A landslide of Biden or a landslide of Trump. Otherwise, they have this thing set up that no one's going to believe the outcome. No one will believe the outcome because they've changed the way we're electing a president this time. He's specifically talking about this document, which was a, basically a left-wing, uh, left-leaning wing left document uh, that was doing everything they accused Glenn of in the Times story. It says right here, um, it says uh, we take no position on how Americans should cast their votes. However, the administration of President Donald Trump has steadily underlined core norms of democracy and the rule of law and embraced numerous corrupt and authoritarian practices. Does that sound like a bipartisan group? They're talking, out, they're talking specifically about Donald Trump trying to steal the election before the election took place. That's what they're accusing Glenn of. He's quoting their document. Beyond this, to put Glenn Beck as the face of the insurrectionists and violence, political violence in this country, is among the top five dumbest things ever possibly uttered by a person. It is so completely disconnected to everything the guy stands for and honestly has beat us over the head with nonstop ever since I've met him. To the point where uh, we've had tons of people, conservatives in the audience, say, hey, why is Glenn always talking about us being peaceful? We're we're already peaceful. I don't need to hear about it anymore. Shut up. People got sick of him saying it all the time. He is the face on the right preaching. We need to stay with Martin Luther King type values. Let me give you a, a few quotes. This is, by the way, January 5th. This is a guy they're trying to paint as the face of the insurrection and political violence in this country. Here he is the day before January 6th talking about the next day's rally.
0: I know people (laughs) who are are going to Washington. I know people who uh, feel passionately about what's happening in our country. But I don't know any of them that want to start a war, want to start a fight, want to be beat up in the streets or beat people up in the streets. That's just not who we've we've ever been Now, there might be some people uh, that are going in support of, you know, Stop the Steal that do feel that way, but they're in the vast minority. But those people, if they engage with Antifa or whatever, those are the people that are going to be seen on television. And that will be the poster child of whatever we're doing. There's a couple of things that you should do if you are going to march in activities like this. And the first thing is you have to really kind of channel your inner Martin Luther King.
1: That's the face of the insurrection? That guy? The guy telling you to channel your inner Martin Luther King the day before the event is even going on? How about January 6th itself? Now remember that we do the radio show from 9 a.m. to noon live in the Eastern Time Zone. So this is before... Any of this stuff has happened we were a couple hours before there's a uh, riot at the Capitol. Here's Glenn on radio that morning.
0: You have to be able to fight with wisdom. You have to be able to f- you can't just go out into the streets and cause mayhem. That is not what Martin Luther no. King did. It's not. Uh, you know, and and we're missing a lot of Martin Luther King uh, ideas that actually changed the world because it's the same thing that Gandhi did. But how many of us, how many of us are willing to say, you know what, I'm no longer putting my money into this product or these people. I'm not going to do it. And a real sacrifice. And when I say a real sacrifice, I mean, I'm not going to put my money into you know, Netflix, or I'm not going to put my money into big mobile or whatever it is. How many are willing to make just that
1: sacrifice for their freedom? Okay, maybe I've lost a little weight, just a little. Uh, By the way, there's the insurrectionist saying you might need to cancel your Netflix subscription. Uh, Wow. Uh, Don't cause mayhem in the streets. This is the guy responsible for the insurrection. Seriously. And I ask you this because, like, Are we supposed to tell them, like, when someone from the New York Times uh, comes up with a narrative that is completely and easily proven false, are we supposed to alert them before they write the article? Are we supposed to go to them and say, hey, by the way, you're going to look like an idiot if you write this? Because if there's 500,000 examples of Glenn saying exactly the opposite of what you're accusing him of, are we supposed to do that? Are they supposed to actually just do their own research? Are we supposed to feed them that information or is that on them? Maybe they should just know what the hell they're talking about before they write the article. It's a crazy idea. But this is what happens is the Brookings Institution wants a a little attention so they can get some donations to their dumb project. And so they go to The New York Times, they feed them the information, and The Times just writes what they're told. That's what happens. January 7th, the day after, here's Mr. Insurrection once again. That
0: even their own representatives from their own party treat them like garbage when they've been called racist bigots, when they've been called conspiracy theorists over things like the Hunter Biden laptop, that now the press says, oh, I guess there is something there. But we all feel that nothing will ever happen. What are they supposed to do? Now, here's, let me make this very clear. They are not supposed to get violent. We have a right of free speech, of petitioning our government. We have a right to demand answers. But we don't destroy the Capitol.
1: By the way, the uh, writer of that story, it was his first story in the New York Times. I guess he's 0 for 1. But hey, it's a long career ahead, I'm sure, with journalism like that. Let me leave you with this, because this is not a new thing from Glenn. It's not like he started on on January 5th talking like this. Here he is years and years before at his Restoring Unity, Violence, and Justice. Um, uh, He was talking about violence and justice at the Restoring Unity, Restoring Unity, rally in Birmingham, Alabama. If you want to commit
0: violence in the name of justice, that is not justice. There's always people who are going to take the sense of injustice and they're going to turn it inside out. We know them today. We see them on our television sets today. We know exactly who they are and they have existed in America and every other kingdom on earth forever. But Martin Luther King gave them no room in his movement and neither will I. To end discrimination requires principles and discipline. You move from righteous anger to peaceful action, that's how you win. He built something that was united and he built it on true justice.
1: This winter, you can upgrade your daily routine with Bespoke Post and their new seasonal lineup of must-have Box of Awesome collections. These things are so cool. Bespoke Post partners with small businesses and emerging brands to bring you the most unique goods every single month. No matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered from winter cocktails to cozy threads, camping gear essentials. I got myself an axe. I got an axe in my Box of Awesome because, as you can tell, I'm very outdoorsy. That's my kind of thing. To get started, uh, you get the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers help them pick the right box of awesome for you. It's a great gift. They release them every month across a ton of different categories, free to sign up, skip a month at any time. Each box costs only 45 bucks, but has over $70 and usually a lot more than $70 worth of gear inside. Plus, with a box of awesome, you're supporting small businesses. Uh, 90% of everything that comes in your box is from a small up-and-coming brand. Get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com. Enter the code STEW at checkout. It's boxofawesome.com. The code is STEW. Get 20% off your first box of awesome. I'm happy to welcome Ben Weingarten back onto the program. He's the deputy editor of Real Clear Investigations, and they have a new piece out comparing the January 6th and BLM riots from 2020. I'll make sure to tweet out a link to that here in just a minute. Ben, how's it going, man? It's too going well. Long time no see. Yeah, great to see you. Um, Before we get into your piece here, um, give me a minute on how we as a country, as conservatives, how should we think of January 6th?
2: Well, from my perspective, and I wrote this about a week after January 6th last year, and unfortunately, I think it's proven out, uh, what we saw that day, the most violent acts were deplorable. They were completely inconsistent with anything that conservatism stands for. They, of course, undermine the legitimate questions that were gonna be raised regarding the 2020 election at the highest levels, and of course, it was clear from the jump that those, the acts, of the percentage, the violent percentage of the relatively small percentage of the tens of thousands of people in DC, their acts over several hours would be used to smear tens of millions of Americans as insurrectionists or their co conspirators or the like. Even worse, my fear was that the actions of the violent minority there would be used to justify a whole of society, public and private sector, war on wrong thing, crackdown on dissent in this country. We saw that almost start almost immediately after january 6 with the social media purges but now it's gone to kicking people off of payment processing platforms financial institutions doxing people and harassing them so they get fired from their jobs and far worse and that's un-american it threatens our most basic civil liberties it should really disturb people on the left and right and we've seen a whole national strategy for countering domestic terrorism so-called implemented by the Biden administration, which explicitly calls for essentially a crackdown on dissent from whatever the ruling class woke orthodoxy is on a week to week basis. And so as disturbing as the worst of the acts were during that day, they have led to a whole society onslaught that threatens the liberty and justice of tens of millions of Americans of every political stripe. And that is arguably more disturbing setting aside the histrionics and the strained case, the outrageous case being made today and that's been made for months now, that what transpired was on the level of a 9-11 or a Pearl Harbor or the worst acts of the Civil War.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and that's I think an important part of this And that like, obviously you're talking about, you point out correctly, a very small minority of uh, conservatives, of Republicans, of even people who went to the, to the speech. I mean, a very small minority did the worst things. But when you cross that line and you do bad things, It's not only morally wrong, but also really ineffective. Like It it unleashes the type of reaction you're talking about and has now hit millions and millions of people who had nothing to do with those violent actions, and that is an important part to talk about. Um, You, I think, you guys over at Real Clear Investigations have done a great job trying to highlight and put in perspective the, uh, the political violence that we saw in 2020 and into 2021 on January 6th. There is a year of political violence that led up to January 6th, and almost exclusively these events happened on the left. You looked at three uh, kind of big events together and compared them. Can you kind of walk us through your thought process here?
2: Yeah, so one of the things is in in putting together this database, we felt that there was a public outcry for a real apples-to-apples, fact-based, heavily sourced comparison of these different events, because while in Washington, DC, of course, there's a select committee and a whole slew of investigations prior to that, around January 6th, there was no such investigation into the summer 2020 riots, many of which of course were supported by Democrats up to and including the vice president of the United States, uh, endorsing bail funds associating with the the criminals, the defendants in that case. And there's, but if you look at polling, there's an, basically an equal percentage of Americans who also think that the summer 2020 riots ought to have been investigated, just like the January 6 ones. Since that wasn't done by the political class or media, we felt it would be a public service to do this side-by-side, comparing J6 to the summer 2020 riots and also to the often forgotten 2017 inauguration riot. And what we did was lay out the size, scope, and nature of the acts that transpired, as well as look at the investigative and prosecutorial vigor or lack thereof associated with pursuing those who were the accused in connection with these events. And what we found at a high level, when you look at J6 versus the summer 2020 riots is that the summer 2020 riots were by many orders of magnitude substantially more widespread, violent and destructive than what happened on January 6th to the tune of 15 times more assaulted police officers, 23 times more people arrested, and up to 1,300 times in dollar terms, more damage inflicted. And that's before we get to what one could argue is potentially a double standard or unequal, not impartial, but rather partial standard of justice that's been applied in terms of the mass dismissal of the lower level cases primarily, up to 90 plus percent dismissed in major cities across the country of those misdemeanor cases during the summer 2020 riots. There's been all of one case dismissed out of the more than 700 people who have been charged in connection with January 6th, most of those January 6th charges, a majority of them as well are misdemeanors. And I think kind of the defining uh, sort of summary of what transpired with J6 is a judge who had takes a very hostile view towards what transpired that day. The chief judge of the DC district court where these cases are being adjudicated has said to federal prosecutors, you're trying to resolve the crime of the century with class B misdemeanors. That's a direct quote or almost a direct quote. Mm. And that points to the fact that the rhetoric does not match the legal reality that obviously a hostile Biden Justice Department is putting out there and administration officials are putting out there, which is there's not been one charge of treason, insurrection, sedition, terrorism or the like. And so I think it becomes clear that they're trying to prosecute a political case when they can't make... The legal one. And we go through this and, and many other issues around the, the prosecutions and the massive investigative effort that's being undertaken in connection with J6. And it's clear that it's incomparable to what transpired with respect to the summer 2020 riots.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and, and let me just pause on the numbers here. Uh, police officers assaulted and injured. This is from real clear investigations. 140 in the, in the Capitol riot, which is 140 too many. But 2037 in the George Floyd riots, uh, you have $1.5 million of damage in the Capitol riot, $1 to $2 billion in the George Floyd riots. You have 710 arrests in the Capitol riot, 16,241 arrests in the George Floyd riots. The difference, I mean, it's really hard to compare them at this level. Really, what I think you, you show here is that the 2021 Capitol riot, from a scale perspective, is much more similar to the 2017 inauguration riot, which, as you point out, most people forget. But this is also in a moment of of transition of power. It's also in the same city. It's also a a lot of the same
2: symbolism going on.
1: And, uh, you know, I will say, uh, looking at your numbers, I mean, they're relatively close to what happened at the Capitol.
2: Yeah, I mean, there were over 200 people who were charged and the overwhelming majority of cases were dismissed. There were a handful of guilty pleas, but the vast majority of the cases were kicked. And I think maybe in part that sets the precedent for the fact that the charges that have been put forth in connection with the Capitol riot don't meet the standards of the left. Who thinks that Merrick Garland and, and the Justice Department prosecutors are going too soft mm-hmm. on these individuals. In some cases, judges have actually gone to further sentences than the guidelines the DOJ has put forth. But on the other hand, then you compare it to 2017, as well as the summer 2020 riots, and look at the percentage of cases that were dismissed. Uh, all, I mean, mass majorities of those cases dismissed. There have also been unique charges that have never been slapped on people in an analogous circumstance, in connection with the Capitol riots, like obstruction of an official proceeding, which, as a felony, could carry up to 20 years in jail, it's never been applied in a circumstance like this, when people have, you know, tried to bang on the doors of the Supreme Court during, say, the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings, or, you know, for example, the assault, the attempted assault on the White House in the summer of 2020. Uh, you've never seen sort of the kind of extreme charges slapped on people, like in this case. And then the last point worth making is, you know, leaving aside the 14,000 hours of footage that we can't see and all manner of questions that the federal government has hemmed and hawed over in connection with January 6th. There are dozens of people being held in pretrial detention in a DC jail, many of whom have no criminal past. In many cases, they're charged with low level offenses, like essentially glorified trespassing or parading charges. And they've been held for months on end in jail non-hardened criminals in one instance a person was held for more time than the maximum sentence that he was ultimately convicted of you have some people who will be in jail for well over a year and apparently they're allegedly being subjected to horrendous conditions of solitary confinement for more than 20 hours a day abuse from guards in one case a judge has pulled one of these defendants out of jail because of what he's been subjected to and in that case, the process really serves as the punishment. Even if ultimately they serve no jail time, they've already been punished to a substantial extent. And this is not to excuse or condone the worst of the actions, but it is to raise the question, why are these people being held in pretrial detention like this under these conditions? And of course we saw no such analog with respect to the summer 2020 riots or in 2017.
1: That's kind of the Kyle Rittenhouse approach, right? Like throw him in jail, torture him for a year and then he gets off, And but he's already paid the price. Uh, for for what happened um let me let me hit with this last one i got about one minute left here ben uh the one of the arguments that that has you know this has i can understand a little bit is that there is a level of almost symbolism here right like you know a, a portland building a federal building uh is it's really bad and we should care a lot about it but this is the capitol this is when they're certifying the votes this is a big moment uh, in America and this was symbolically a real threat our our uh, our uh, you know uh, adversaries uh, overseas saw it and, and it looked like our government was being overturned is there anything should we focus on that and, and acknowledge the significance of that
2: well look i think we should acknowledge the fact that there were people who were so compelled that they actually went to dc from all over the country uh, and set on the Capitol and were angry about it. But should the reaction to that be that this was a terrorist attack and up to half of the country is terrorists or their <laughs> sympathizers? The rational reaction to that would have been why were these people so compelled to come out on that day? Yes, the criminal acts ought to be prosecuted, no doubt about it. But shouldn't our ruling class be responsive to it, step back and consider what is it that led to those circumstances? And it has to be more than just orange man bad. People have lost faith in all of these institutions to the tune of tens of millions of people. The the percentage of people who have confidence in the integrity of the 2020 election has continued to decline over the last year. The faith that justice will be meted out equally in our national security and law enforcement apparatus is declining. And that's not as a consequence of orange man bad. That's a consequence of the actions of our ruling class. And so they they can't be dismissed in, in this whole episode. Mm, uh, it's great work, Ben. Uh, you know, we've, we've had this conversation and people on the conservative side have said
1: over and over again, well, we, yeah, compare that to what happened in 2020. But we didn't have a way to, to quantify that. Now we do because of the work Ben has done over at uh, Real, Real Clear Investigations. Ben Weingarten, make sure to check it out. Uh, the comparison of the BLM riots and January 6th and the 2017 riots as well. You can find it up at my Twitter page right now. Ben,
2: thanks so much for coming on the show. Great to see you. Thanks so much for having me, Stu. Appreciate it.
1: If you just vote for Joe Biden, he's not going to shut down the country. He's going to shut down the virus. (laughs) Uh, So that didn't work at all. It's not at all a surprise. And something, honestly, we've been saying on this program for a very long time. It's very difficult to shut down the virus. Uh, You can try to act as an individual to take the best steps you can to try to avoid getting sick. That's always something you should do, not just with COVID, but with lots of stuff, uh, you know. Uh, Try to don't don't share as many needles, you know, maybe cut down a little bit on the promiscuous sex. Maybe avoid the HIV. You know, that's kind of what you do. You take steps to try to do it. Uh, That's kind of the way, uh, you know, dealing with health works. Um, This idea that you're going to be completely shut it down when it's something as contagious and uh, widespread uh, and not sexually transmitted or needle transmitted, but in the air. Uh, with something like COVID, it's going to be impossible to manage that. Um, now, uh, six Biden advisors have come out in three separate op-eds and said, uh, you need to change what you're doing. We keep telling you this stuff, but you don't seem to be listening. Uh, they, they are saying, like, you need to now step up and say... COVID is going to be with us for a while and maybe for a very long while. And you need to react to that new reality. Now, I don't agree with a lot of their recommendations about how to deal with that new reality, but it reflects kind of something we've been talking about since at least April of 2020. You know, at that time, we said, hey, okay, we all lock ourselves in our apartments and our houses. And let's just say we get some magical treatment and we knock this stuff out or whatever, whatever the situation is. And we have zero cases in the United States. Then what? We've got an open border where people from Mexico, where they're not doing anything to prevent COVID, can come across basically whenever they want. This Omicron variant came from Botswana. You can't eliminate it. It's here. It's too widespread. We're going to have to learn how to live with it. And that's what they are saying. This is the next battle we're going to be facing, and it's, it's going to be going on for a long time. In Manhattan, this is another one, kind of relates to what we've been talking to today. The new district attorney is a nightmare. Now, Eric Adams, the new mayor there, shows a little bit of promise, at least as you compare him to Bill de Blasio. This guy, though, uh, Alvin Bragg, oh, my gosh, he's detailing a new uh, charging, bail, and plea, and sentencing policies. He says it'll make the city safer. It will not Full stop. Um, He says he will not prosecute marijuana misdemeanors, um, uh, not paying a public transportation fee, trespassing except a fourth degree stalking charge, resisting arrest, obstructing government, uh, governmental administration in certain cases and prostitution. Uh, He says uh, a lot of these things are just going to just not be prosecuted. So we've seen what happened in San Francisco when they implement these things. Uh, People realize, oh, crap, we're not going to get in trouble. Let's just do whatever we want. That's what happens. So that's one side of the argument. Let me just give you the other side here. Ron DeSantis has uh, said he's going to invest in microchip semiconductor manufacturing so that the Chinese cannot hold our supply chain hostage. Uh, I've been trying to buy a car for like six months and the car. I want, you know, they keep saying, sorry, we can't get the parts for it right now. This is happening all over the place. We do need to increase our manufacturing here on important things uh, like semiconductors, microchips and such. Uh, I don't know if this is you know, really going to make a huge dent into it, but at least Ron DeSantis is thinking about what the problem is and how to solve it. It doesn't seem like anybody in Washington, D.C. is doing that at all. So it's New Year's resolution time. Have you broken yours yet? I know I have. I mean, look, everybody makes New Year's resolutions. Most people are not able to live up to them. Why? You know, it's um, have you read the book Atomic Habits? Uh, It's a book that kind of tries to tell you how to form habits that last long term. And one of the things they say in there is you don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. If you don't have a good system, uh, you can have as many goals as you want. You're never going to get there. Well, if you have a good system, that's like, okay, I like to eat a candy bar. Uh, I want to have a sweet treat during the day. I want to have something that tastes good that fills me up. Built Bar is a great part of your system. Instead of relying on your your home, you're trying to make something last minute, Bring a built Bar with you. Have a built Bar as a snack or a, maybe a breakfast or even a dessert. They have coconut, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, cookies and cream, and so many more. And if you can take a uh, mixed box from them, uh, they're going to give you nine flavors. Get two of each, try them out, and then order whatever you love. It's less than 200 calories. I think most of them are like 140 calories, um, almost no sugar, 18 grams of protein. They're fantastic. Go to built.com right now. Built.com. Use the promo code STEW15 to save 15% off your first order. Promo code is stew 15 for 15% off at built.com. Watch every show on YouTube and listen on podcasts. Make sure to review the show. Um, And we know it's all comment on the show. You can do it on YouTube right as we're speaking. This this is a pretty common. I'm interested in what you think about this. Uh, If you like President Trump and you're a fan of him, are you on this side or the other side? Here's the comment. I wish Trump would step aside. Let DeSantis move the ship forward with less drama. Trump's policies were great, but the drama was exhausting and it's time for a younger group to take control. I see a real split there between people who like Trump. A lot of them seem to think, you know, I love him, but I, I'd, I prefer someone else like a DeSantis or something. Um, you know, it's time to move on. Uh, He can be the kingmaker, and and that's great. I'm interested to hear what you uh, think. You can put it in the comments. Uh, Also, reviews are important to us. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. This one comes in whatever. This stupid show only deserves one star, so I'm tapping the one farthest to the right, which is great because that gives us five stars. So thank you so much. We do appreciate it. And remember, when you review our podcast, it not only helps our podcast, but it also hurts other podcasts. And that's the most important thing. How many times have you looked out the window and saw this? There's a woman carrying a, a lion down the street. Making all sorts of very liony noises. You know, I will say, I don't know that I've ever seen it, but uh, you just did. And I saw it on the internet, too, and I was like, what on earth was the story behind a woman carrying a lion down the street? Well, the story is, it's Kuwait, and the lion is her pet. That's it, the lion escaped. There's a little baby lion, went out and grabbed it, brought it home like a good mommy would. So there you go. If you wanna have a baby lion as a pet, Kuwait, great place for a condo. We'll see you tomorrow.